Well, good morning. If you are joining us online at the 9 o'clock service, I want to tell you that you need to turn off your feed, head on over to the building, because just outside right now, we've got some food trucks that are setting up for a 945 service, and you really need to be here, because if you miss it, you're going to miss out. If you're tuning in at 1015, well, then you already did miss it, and too bad. Uh, we're doing a Love My Church Month here at Essential, and so we had a donut Sunday, we had an ice cream Sunday this morning, we're having food truck Sunday, and so to accommodate that, we're all meeting outside, and so I'm in here in the early morning talking to just you at home or wherever you might be right now, uh, so you can get the service since we can't film it out there. And people say, well, why do you do all of this stuff? It's because, like I said a couple weeks ago, at Essential, I want to be the best place for you to invite somebody who doesn't go to church, and if offering donuts or an ice cream or a food truck is an added incentive for somebody to go ahead and give church a try, I'm willing to do it. Uh, next week, by the way, is T-shirt Sunday, and you got to be here to get one. And so I encourage you to do whatever you can to get here next Sunday because we've got a really awesome shirt in mind. Well, this morning we're going to be talking about uh, loving my church, and the topic this morning is going to be in uh, beyond serving. Uh, we're going to be looking in Philippians uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 19. Uh, but before I, I get there, I kind of got to tell you why this section in Philippians is kind of odd. It's because when Paul would write a letter, now Paul writes several letters which become a part of our New Testament. So you've got the books of Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians is one of them, Colossians, uh, Philemon, First and Second Timothy, uh, the Thessalonians. He, he, these are all letters that Paul is writing, either to an individual or to a group of people at a church. And oftentimes at the very end of the letter, he would write a few personal remarks. And he would say, oh, by the way, say hi to so-and-so, or I'm sending this letter with, with this person and receive them well, uh, take care of them as you would me. He would usually put those remarks at the end. What's interesting about the book of Philippians is in chapter 2, it's a, it's a four-chapter book, so right in the middle of it, he makes all these personal remarks about two guys, Timothy and uh, Epaphroditus, and you kind of wonder, why is it that he kind of mentions these things in the middle of it? Well, to explain that, i got to kind of go back and look at what's going on in the book. Uh, at the time Paul's writing it, he is in prison. Uh, he's, been extra, he's on his way to being extradited over to Rome uh, for the capital crime of telling people about Jesus. Literally, to start a new religion was against Roman law, and so the question was, is Christianity an extension of an existing religion, which was Judaism, or is this an entirely new thing? And that was sort of the question uh, that was raised. And so he was arrested for it by the Jewish influence in Jerusalem and being now shipped off to Caesar in Rome. And he is going to face trial before Caesar, and one of two things is going to happen. Either he is going to be released, and it's going to be considered to not be a capital crime, and so he'll be released. Or, if he's found guilty, it could be beheading, uh, where it would end his life. And so, he's thinking about the two. It's like, you know, on the one hand, I'm not really sure which would be better. Uh, if I'm released, it just means I get to go on and tell people about Jesus. If I am executed, that just means I get to go be with Jesus. And so, he summarizes it up into this very uh, memorable uh, statement in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, where he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And so, uh, from there, he, he moves and turns his attention to chapter 2, which is the issue going on in the church at Philippi, where he says, uh, one thing that really, y'all really need to work on, over in chapter 1, he mentions 
my prayer for you is that you would abound in love more and more in knowledge and understanding. In other words, that you would know more about what it means to love like Jesus Christ loves. And so then in chapter 2, he says, here's what this looks like. It says, to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, look to other people's needs as more important than your own. In other words, put other people in front of yourself to have that servant mentality. And then he goes on to say, this is what Jesus modeled for us in, chapter, in the next verses in chapter 2 is where he says, Jesus Christ, when he came to earth, didn't come here to be served, but to serve. It says in, in verse 9, he says, or sorry, verse 7, it says, rather he made himself nothing and taking on the very nature of a servant. So right after Paul mentions uh, that the people in the church needed to become more servant-minded, like Jesus was servant-minded, it's like immediately his mind shifts over to Timothy and Epaphroditus, uh, where he says, you know, if if you want to look at what service looks like, look at Timothy and look at Epaphroditus. I'm, I'm sending them back to you with this letter, and they are... There's nobody better to show you what it means to serve like Jesus Christ served than Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, what's interesting about this is a lot of people don't really understand what Christianity is. When they think about Christianity, they live it right together with all of the religions of the world. At the same time, there's a disconnect here because when people think about Jesus, most people have a genuinely or generally good impression of Jesus. Like, oh, he was a good guy. He was a good teacher. He was kind of loving. Uh, And they put him up there usually in the category of people like Mother Teresa or Gandhi or Martin Luther King as this sort of good-natured person. And there's a hard time understanding how is it that Jesus connects with what we know today as the church or this term Christianity. And in reality, if you ask somebody who doesn't go to church what God is like or what they picture God being like, usually what comes out is that Well, God would be inclusive. God would love people, that he wouldn't discriminate amongst people. He wouldn't choose one person over another, that he would, uh, that people who who, uh, have been impacted by God would be loving like God should be loving, which is why they have a hard time connecting uh, people who are very judgmental or uh, prejudiced against others for uh, what they do or how they live or who they are based on their belief in God. So there's a disconnect there. And also what's kind of funny is that sometimes people even look at other religions around the world thinking that, well, they're probably closer to what it's like to be like God than Christianity is. But if you look at the religions of the world, religions don't push people to be more accepting or more loving. Uh, Religions don't push people to be uh, willing to serve one another the way that you would expect them or think that they might. Uh, For instance, if you go to Hinduism, a Brahmin, which is sort of the elite society or the, the upper class of Hindu belief, they have no problem overlooking other people in society. As a matter of fact, they call them uh, the untouchables or unmentionables, um, uh, the people that they, they just would walk right over. And the reason why Mother Teresa has such a ministry over in India on behalf of the name of Jesus Christ is because she's willing to love those who are unloved by the dominant religion of the people in that country. Uh, We also know that people who are very religious uh, from not just one religious faith, uh, but in multiple, are willing to go out and injure, threaten, intimidate, or kill people in the name of their religion. And they somehow think that they're showing some devotion to God in a misguided attempt to show devotion to God, go out and do these kind of things. And we look at this and say, this can't be truly what who God is or representing who God is if it's pushing people to that place. And the sad thing is, is that 
the same thing happens with Christianity. And one of the sure signs that somebody has moved away from a loving relationship with Jesus Christ is on joy for all eternity and moved into this realm of what we would call Christianity or the religion of Christianity is their lack of being willing to serve one another. Because service was at the heart of who Jesus Christ was. What you'll see instead is sort of this shift to very self-centered uh, mindset, which basically comes in and asks the question, what's in it for me? Uh, where people immediately sort of church shop looking for the best place for me or the best things, somebody has the best uh, things to offer for me. Uh, or another way to look at this is when you give, uh, is there some sense in your mind that sort of looks and asks yourself, um, are, you, are you giving because you recognize that everything you have comes from God and you're simply returning a portion of what God has blessed you with because he's asked you and he's, he's told you the first tenth of everything you have is mine. I'm going to bless you with all of this, but the first tenth is mine. Do you look at what you're giving back and saying, God, I'm giving this back to you. It's only, I'm only giving you what you've given me. I'm only giving you back a portion of a small portion of what you've given me, and I'm giving it to you so that you might continue to impact my community with your love and your message of hope, both my community and around the world? Am I giving that back to you for that purpose, or am I giving my tithe because I want something in return? Uh, If you think about this, this happens a lot, where, you know, I want the church to provide my, uh, the programs that I need, or to feed me in the way I want to be fed, or do it for my kids where I want to be done. It's almost as though, for some people, they look at the tithe, which is kind of odd to even call it a tithe in this sense, uh, as sort of a political contribution to get, in, get the influence within the church to get what I want. And if you don't give me what I want, then I'll take my tithe elsewhere. I'd almost to say, you can't call it a tithe if that's what you're doing with it. A tithe is simply God's. You can't say, I'm not going to give you God's money because it never was God's money in the first place with you. It was always your money you're using for influence. And that is a hallmark of religious thinking. Or uh, here's one. I've heard this uh, a couple times even this past summer. Uh, where somebody has said, and, and it's really funny, when somebody says this, what, what I find ironic is they say it as though they're coming from a very spiritual and pious place, but in reality, it, it's coming from a much more religious and misguided uh, sense of Christianity than, than they'll ever even understand. And they say something like this, well, I don't need to go to church to have a relationship with God. And, and I want to say back, I don't think you have the kind of relationship with God you think you have if that's how you view church. Because at the very core of this is basically saying, uh, I can get everything I need without being a part of the very thing that God created to reach the entire world. Uh, Let's just discount the fact that Jesus Christ is the one who started the church. He's the one who established the church to be the ongoing presence, uh, embodiment of who he is in our world across the globe. Let's just discount the fact that this is something Jesus Christ started. Let's discount the fact that this is something Jesus Christ told us we needed to be a part of and continue to do uh, as part of the do this in remembrance of me, coming together, being the church to be able to go out and reach the entire world. Let's just discount all of that and say, I don't need it. If you had a relationship with Jesus Christ, wouldn't you want to do everything you could to do the very thing, number one, he's called you to do? Second of all, to jump at the opportunity to be a part of the body of Christ because it talks in the scripture about how the church is the manifestation of the body of Christ in our world today. That the picture is is that when somebody would come to a church, it doesn't matter if that's here in Virginia Beach or anywhere in the entire world. It doesn't matter if that's in Africa or in Asia or it doesn't matter where it's at. That no matter where somebody's at in the world, they could come to a local body of believers called the church 
and they would know what it's like to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. Because collectively, as it says in Scripture, that we are his hands and we are his feet. We are his mouthpiece. Every one of us has a role to play in the body of Christ. And what you're saying is, I don't need to, have, I don't need to be a part of the body of Christ. I don't have a role to play in the body of Christ. I can get everything I need. It's funny you keep thinking all of this is about you, uh, which is very similar to the other thing that comes along with this is, uh, I need to find a church that can feed me. Uh, and this usually comes from the idea that Christian growth and maturity is all about everything that I know. And the more that I know, the more mature I am in Christ. And this is why, quite frankly, a lot of people who are religious Christians are so arrogant and rude, because all they want to do is pick fights with everybody, because they want to show how much more they know than everybody else, and that shows how much more uh, mature they are than everybody else. When in reality, that's only a picture of just how distant you are from an authentic, right relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, the more rude and arrogant you are, the more you think it's all about you, only depicts how much I wonder, do you really know what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ in the first place? It sounds like you're very religious, but it doesn't sound like you're as spiritual as you think, because if you were, you, you would have the embodiment of who Jesus Christ was. Um, what you see, though, throughout Scripture is that the closer you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the more it is going to push you away from your focus on yourself, and the more it's going to push you to have a focus on others. It says Jesus Christ took on the very nature of a servant. It's who he was. It's who he called people into be. That the more you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, the more you'll have a desire to become more like Jesus Christ. And who was Jesus? He was a servant. And so that's why when, when Paul is talking about uh, he says to the Philippian church, uh, I want you to think of others before yourself. This is what Jesus was. This is what the embodiment of who Jesus was. He goes straight to somebody who's living it out and doing it. And so that's where he goes to Timothy. It's, that's what I want to focus on this, on this morning is Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 19. It says, I hope in the Lord, Jesus, to send Timothy to you soon, uh, that I also may be cheered when I receive the news about you. For I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everybody looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because he is a son, uh, because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him to you soon, as I see how things are going with me, for I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So he's saying, you know, I'm still on trial. I don't know how things are going to turn out. But between now and then, my hope is that I can send Timothy to you. Because if you want to know what it means to live out like Jesus Christ lived out life, Timothy is the embodiment of it. He has served me. He has served the church. He has served Jesus Christ. It's just who Timothy is. Now, what I think is interesting when, when he mentions Timothy is he says this little phrase. He says, there's no one else like him. In other words, what he's saying is, moving towards servanthood is not common amongst people in the church. Like, you would hope that Paul would say, I'll send you Timothy. He's just like every other Christian he serves. But what he says is, he says, there's no one else like him who genuinely thinks of other people in front of himself. And it's, it's sort of almost a sad commentary that even at the very beginning of the establishment of the church that Jesus Christ hoped to start, it had already moved towards a, a religious mentality that basically says, I'm here to serve God and get what I need out of this. And which is why he says, unfortunately, there's no one else like Timothy who's actually doing this. Timothy shouldn't be unique. He should be just one of many, is what Paul's trying to get across. He shouldn't be one of, you know, a unique person where he says, there's no one else like him who shows con genuine concern for your welfare. 
Uh, there's no one else like him. He says, everybody else looks out for their own interests, not those of others. And he's already written to them earlier in this chapter, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, look out for other people's interests as more important than your own. And then he goes on to say, Timothy does this. I don't know of anybody else who, else, else who does this. I mean, Jesus does this. It's something I've tried to do in my own life, which is why I'm in prison right now. I'm trying to think, who else could I? Timothy does it. Not many other people do it, though. And unfortunately, in Christianity today in America, not many other people are doing this either, which is why it's such a unique thing, which is why the church has such a bad reputation, which is why people will say something like, I don't really know if I need to go to an established place like a, like a, a church to know about God. And the reason why they're saying that is because so oftentimes we're not the embodiment of who Jesus was because we don't take on that servant-like mentality. Um, uh, moving on, uh, let me see what else I want to say about that. Um, yeah. In Timothy's mindset, uh, he's embodied with that thing we've always said at the very beginning of our church. We wanted to say at the very beginning when we established e- e- Essential is that the church is not here for us. Whether we are the church and we are here for the world. Timothy was the embodiment of this. If you want to know where a statement like that would come from, it comes from a guy like Timothy, who the church wasn't here for them. Uh, Timothy didn't go to church saying, it's all about me. I, I, I need to have my needs met. Or, Paul, if I go to the church of Philippi, what am I going to get out of that? I think I can get everything I need without having to go to that church. I don't think there's anything in there for me. No, he says, what's unique about Timothy against the backdrop of Christianity is he's willing to go to serve you because he cares more about your needs than he does his own. That he understands to, to incorporate or to, or to reflect the ethos of who Jesus was is to take on a servant mentality and to look to your needs as more important than his own. And then he goes right from there to Epaphroditus. And he says, I do think it's necessary. So he says, I can't send Timothy to you right now. I really wish I could because there's nobody else like him. But I can send back to you Epaphroditus. He's somebody who came from you to me to serve me on your behalf, and I can send him back to you. So we think that Epaphroditus is probably bringing this letter back to the church. He says, so I do think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, who is my brother and fellow worker, fellow soldier, and who is also your messenger who you sent to take care of my needs. In other words, this church sent him to take care of Paul while he was in jail uh, in prison because there was... It wasn't like you got three square meals a day when you're in prison. You're basically out there to starve unless somebody came and cared for you. And so Epaphroditus comes there on behalf of the church. And so Paul is sending them back to him. He says, for he longs for you and he's distressed because you heard that he was ill. So somewhere on this journey to go take care of Paul, Epaphroditus gets sick. He says, indeed, he was ill and he almost died. But God had mercy on him and not only him also, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. In other words, he came here to serve and take care of me. But in the process of it, He got sick and he almost died, but it didn't stop him from still coming to serve. Uh, He went ahead and did it anyway. Um, He says, therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him back to you so that when you see him again, you may be glad uh, and that I might have less anxiety. Uh, In other words, I just really hope he gets home safe. You know, he's been out here on this journey doing all this stuff and it's about costing his life. And, you know, because I care about Epaphroditus' needs more than my own, I'm sending him home. I hope, I hope he's you know, cared for. I hope he can get home because I would hate for him to have died out here. Then he says, so welcome him as you would uh, in the Lord uh, with joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to help make up uh, for the help that you yourselves couldn't give me. In other words, he came out here on your behalf to serve even to the point where it almost cost him his life. One little side note about Epaphroditus is I think it's pretty clear he didn't grow up in a faith-filled home. Uh, the name Epaphroditus is the male version of Aphrodite. 
who in their pantheon of various gods and goddesses and all the Greek mythology and folklore, uh, Aphrodite was the goddess of love or a goddess of blessing. And so Epaphroditus is the male sort of equivalent name of that. So he probably grew up in a very pagan home. But somewhere along the way, began a loving relationship with God, began to understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and also understood that what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ is to become more like Jesus in the process. And so in the same way that Jesus is willing to give up his life for others, it says of Epaphroditus, he was willing to lay down his life for service. He was willing to lay down his life uh, for me. Now, what I think is interesting about Epaphroditus is when he says, I'm sending back Epaphroditus because he's what you really need right now. Now, he doesn't mention anything about Epaphroditus being eloquent in speech or what his gifts are. He doesn't mention anything about how much he knows, like, oh, I'll tell you what, this guy knows theology. He's going to be able to teach you guys all kinds of stuff. You want to go deep, this is the guy for you, because if you really want to get deep into the Scriptures, Epaphroditus is the guy, he really knows things inside and out, you're really going to get schooled when he gets there. He didn't say that. He didn't say, oh, this guy is so gifted, he is so talented. Uh, as a matter of fact, when he comes, you're just going to be overwhelmed by the spirituality that exudes out of him, or he didn't say, you know, he's got you know, this leadership gift that just can Enthuse, uh, direction and motivation inside everybody around him, and he's such a great leader, you're going to be inspired by his ability to lead. He doesn't say, oh, he is so gifted with his hands. I tell you what, you want to physically build something? He's your guy. He can you know, make anything with his own two hands. He's been so, he didn't say anything about his giftedness. He didn't say anything about uh, his skill or his knowledge or his leadership abilities. The only thing he focused on with Epaphroditus is his heart. He says, if there's anybody who understands the heart of Jesus Christ, it's Epaphroditus, because he serves. Even to the extent that he was willing to lay down his life for the purpose of helping other people. He's like, that's somebody who gets it. That's somebody, when I wrote to you, my prayer is that you would know the love of Christ and that it might abound in you more and more and more. That's over in chapter one, I think verse seven or nine. He says, my prayer is that you would know the love of Christ more and more and more. He says, basically saying this, what you guys need the most is not a deeper message. What you guys need the most is not better leadership. What you all need in your church, you're talking about Philippine specifically, is that you would know and understand the heart of Jesus Christ better. And, what is, and that is never more seen than somebody who's willing to lay down themselves, put somebody else in front of themselves, and serve in the same way that Jesus Christ served. Uh, the picture of a deeper understanding of love is not that you would have a warmer feeling towards somebody. It's not that you would, you know, say, love you, mean it. It's not that you would you know, say it or express it more. What he's getting at here is, is what it means to love like Jesus loved is to serve like Jesus served, to put other people's needs ahead of your own. And he's saying, this is what Jesus did. This is what Timothy did. This is what Epaphroditus did. This is what I'm calling on you as a church to do. Now, I want to close out with one last thing about Jesus' heart for service. Over towards the end of his life, uh, the last, when we talk about the last supper Jesus had, when we share in communion, we're talking about, uh, it's a reference back to that last supper. Uh, when Jesus is sitting down at that last supper, the, the, the narrative begins in John chapter 13. And, and I think verse 3 in John chapter 13, it says this, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Now, pause for a minute. I don't think it's hard for any of us to comprehend that if Jesus really is who Jesus said he was, if he truly is God of very God, then he has all power vested in him. And so this statement where it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power is not something that in any way, shape, or form is any way hard to believe if Jesus truly is God. 
what is absolutely incredibly hard to picture or understand or believe about Jesus is not that he would have all power, but the next verse when it talks about what he does with all power. So right after it says, Jesus knew the Father put all things under his power. It says he then got up from the table, he put a towel around his waist, and he knelt down to wash his disciples' feet. In other words, it's not so hard to believe that Jesus is more powerful than all of us. What's hard to believe is that Jesus was a better servant than all of us. Is that he didn't use his power to be served, but he took all the power that he had, every resource that he had, every advantage that he had being the son of God, and used it all for what? To be the greatest servant this world has ever known. And so he looks at you and to me and to his disciples after this, he says, now this is what I want you to go do for others. Not go out there and wow people with your knowledge. Go out there and amaze people with how spiritual you are. I want you to serve other people like I have served you. One of the greatest measurements of how mature somebody is in Christ is how willing are they or how much Christ-like are they when it comes to service. Which I want you to pause for just a minute and just think to yourself, this question is, what would happen if we evaluated our relationship with God uh, and our relationship to the church that God started to uh, tell other people about a relationship with Him? What would, be, what would it look like if we began to evaluate that by simply asking this question, how am I doing at making other people more important than myself? How am I doing at putting other people's needs ahead of my own? How am I doing in terms of giving my life away like Epaphroditus would? How am I doing in terms of showing love by serving? And then very specifically, what does this look like at home? To serve and love like Jesus Christ served and loved. What does this look like at home? Whether you're married, not married, whether you have kids or no kids in the house, what does it look like at home for you to serve like Jesus Christ served? What does this look like for where you spend your day, whether it be at school or at work or with friends? I don't, I don't know what you do during your day, whatever. What does it look like in where you spend your nine to five to serve like Jesus Christ served? And then lastly, what's it look like in your community? And by the way, the primary place that God wants to impact the community is through the local church. What does it look like or what would it look like if you evaluated your maturity and your growth and your relationship with Jesus Christ by how is it that you're able to serve your community, uh, whether that be both you know, here at Essential or at your local church or through the ministries that your church uh, has partnered with? What would it look like if you evaluated your relationship with God by how much like Jesus Christ you've become along the way? Uh, would you with me to close our time in prayer? Father, I thank you for your grace over us. So often we get distracted and we think that our relationship with you is measured by how many uh, verses we read a day, how many hours we spend in prayer a day, how much time we spend reading your word a day, how much we know about your scriptures. So many times we feel so inadequate when it comes to our Bible knowledge. Sometimes we feel guilty for having missed church from time to time. Sometimes we think it has to do with how much we give or how we're doing financially uh, with understanding that everything has come from you. When over and over again in scripture what we see is that the true measure of Christ-likeness as our willingness to serve. As Paul would say, when you came to this earth, Jesus Christ, when you came here, 
You didn't consider equality was something to be grasped. You weren't out here trying to prove to everybody that you were God. Rather, what you did is you took on the very nature of a servant. Although all power was given to you, you didn't come across as the most powerful man on the face of the earth, even though you were. You came across as the greatest servant this earth has ever known. So, Father, may we be inspired to do likewise at home, at work, in our community, to serve and love as you have served and loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.